0: It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello everyone and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely, as we get set for this recap of UFC Fight Night Overeem vs. Harris, which of course took place on May 16th at the ViStar Veterans Memorial Arena in Jacksonville Florida you can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN and let's get right into it and I told you guys on yesterday's show I am locked in I am locked in and shout out shout out to my buddy Drew Peterson because he evidently he's more locked in than me but speaking just for me I am locked in on my predictions like I told you guys I was below 500 on UFC 249 I was 500 on on the Wednesday night card and on this uh this fight card I was nine and two nine and two so I'm really honing it in uh shout out to Drew Peterson because he was 11 and oh not even that big of a fan he's just getting into the sport and he got all 11 picks right which is absolutely amazing and makes me wonder uh what I'm doing with my fight predicting skills that he just has the the magic to, to get every single one of them correct which is amazing and unfortunately he didn't put money on it and Neither did I, but you know, it's all it's all about the future, and we are absolutely locked in. And what a what a week it's been for the UFC. What a what a Saturday it's been for the UFC. Every single one of these cards has delivered. Uh, especially the uh, the Wednesday night card, which I thought, you know, looking at it, it wasn't out of the three cards, it was probably the least stacked. And uh, you know, even even this one, uh, like I like I mentioned on the preview show. Not a lot of highly ranked uh, fighters on uh, this last Saturday's card, but really, really smart matchmaking, and that, that led to some really good fights. So we'll start off with the main event, which was a win for Alistair Overeem. He knocked out Walt Harris uh, at the 3-minute mark in the second round. And what a what a whirlpool of a fight that was. Uh, that That fight... You know, that early flurry from Walt Harris in the first, in really the first 60, 70 seconds, I mean, I thought that fight was really close. I mean, it could have been stopped. He was landing some heavy punches, you know, getting on top of Overeem and and putting a putting a knee on his chest and just, you know, raining down hammer fists on, on Overeem's chin and, and you know, props to Overeem because his chin stood up. And I know that's been a, a, a bone of contention for, uh, you know, fans of the heavyweight division. Uh, you look at Overeem. I think, man, what is he? he's got like 16 knockout losses, and for whatever reason, you know, and Walt Harris is a big boy. You know, probably probably cuts down from 275 to the to the heavyweight limit, and you know, he he ate every single one of those. So, um, I, I guess Overeem still has a, a a little left in that chin of his uh, as he as he celebrates his 40th birthday. But, um, you know, that was a tough ultimately it didn't matter but that's a tough round that first round to score because you look at just a minute and a half of just a street fight from Walt Harris you know just just assaulting Overeem and then about three and a half minutes of uh I don't want to say soft punches because I'm sure they didn't feel too good but just three and a half minutes of ground control for Overeem to follow uh looked like both of them were a little bit gassed in that second round but clearly Walt Harris was was feeling it and you know ultimately overeem you know flattened him out and uh, i mean Walt Harris wasn't going anywhere shout out to Walt Harris for for taking the fight and obviously you know what a what a unbelievably tragic story that we talked about on the preview show and that i'm sure everybody's well aware of uh, that uh, that ESPN piece they put out on Friday was absolutely heartbreaking made me tear up a little bit and you know good to see him back and again you know i picked overeem uh, to lose that fight uh, I, I was really hot on Walt Harris, considering his last two fights were. Um, well, he had the 11 second knockout versus Alexei Olenek, and then he had like a 71 second knockout against. Oh man, I I I forget his name, but coming off of two really quick knockouts, and you know that's that's the risk. We've seen him obviously very high level uh, jiu jitsu guy in in Verdum, but if you can take if you can take Walt Harris down. Uh, that obviously is the weakness in his game but you got to you you got to get through that initial surge you know there's there's certain fighters like like Rumble Johnson or, or certainly a lot of heavyweights and and certainly Walt Harris but you know if you can weather that storm like Overeem did and, and that that he he barely nearly very nearly didn't uh you know things are going to go pretty good for you if you can get past that first round with Walt Harris all 13 of his wins came by knockout um and for Overeem, I mean, as crazy as it sounds, like, I, like I've like i been saying on the last couple of shows, if you're in the top five, I know that I know there's a log jam at heavyweight, but, you know, if you're in the top five, especially in these pandemic times, you know, l- listen, all, all it takes is for somebody to get injured and they need a late replacement or somebody says no because of the, the virus or travel. And, you know, listen, like I said, Dominic Cruz got a title shot after three years off and his last fight being a... Uh, a loss obviously now obviously he's the greatest bantamweight of all time in my opinion but you know crazy things happen crazy things happen during these times so uh would not be shocking if if Overeem I'm not going to say if he gets a title shot but if he gets right back up into title contention because you know he's he's had a he's had a lot of fights he's had a lot of fights and you know it would only make sense for him to fight somebody in that top 7 um now I'm not exactly sure taking a look at the rankings here. Uh not exactly sure who he would fight. You know, you got Volkov out there, Derek Lewis is out there. Um I don't think you want to do a rematch with Jairzinho. I don't know who's really um pressing for that, but um interesting interesting options. No matter no matter where they go, there's some interesting options and obviously for Walt Harris, um Back to the drawing board. Still really high on him because uh, he can knock out anybody at any time uh, in that in that first round. And um, you know, there, there's still some interesting. And listen, when you're at, when you're a heavyweight and you're in the top 10ish, I mean, he's gonna get another main event uh, because people like watching uh, the big boys fight and uh, looking at the rankings. You know, maybe a fight against uh, Blago Ivanov or, or Sergey Pavlovich. Um, there's also that. I guess I could do a rematch with him in Verdun, but again, I don't know. I don't know if I'd really want to watch that one. But uh, very gritty performance by both by both fighters, uh, which leads us to the co-main event. It was a split decision win for Claudia Gadelia over Angela Hill, who somehow was not ranked heading into that fight. I th- honestly, I think even in a loss, Angela Hill should be ranked. I think she, she should have been ranked before. Uh, I think. Man, it's, I can't tell you you're wrong if you think Claudia Gadelia won or if Angela Hill won because it was definitely 1-1 going into that final round. Um, and and it's, yeah, man, it's tough, too, because she did knock down Gadelia in round two. But, I mean, you either win a round or you don't win a round. So just because you knock somebody down, that means you won the second round. And then obviously with the work she did in the second round, she obviously won the second round, but just because you knock somebody down to the second round doesn't mean you win the fight because there's two other rounds that have to be scored. You know, it's kind of like fighters, or kind of like um, media people are just more casual fans who, oh, that was a close fight. I think it was a draw. Well, if it's a three round fight and it was a close fight, you know, somebody has to win those two rounds and somebody has to lose those two rounds. So, uh, unless there was a 10 10, which I is incredibly rare, and I don't really think should be used that often, or unless there was a, a 10-8 somewhere. You know, if it's if it's just a really close fight, it doesn't mean it's a draw because somebody in the, in in those three rounds, because it's an odd number, somebody has to win it, and you know it's going to be 29-28 or you know a split decision or something. But for for it to be a draw, you know, some wacky stuff has to happen. But uh, that was a close fight, and again, I think Angela Hill should be ranked even in a loss because, you know, I pointed this out on the preview show. But you look at the strawweight division. I mean, what is it? She broke Cowboy Cerrone's record for the most amount of fights in, like, 741 days. Seven fights in, in, like, 700 days or something ridiculous. Already fought three times in in 2020. I mean, you have, like, Tisha Torres is ranked. Felice Herrig's ranked. Amanda Hebus. I mean, I'm, I'm not mad about Amanda Hebus being ranked. Um, but, like, I don't know. I think Tisha Torres is on, like, a four-fight losing streak. So, you know, it's... Uh, you got to feel for Angela Hill because that's she's just the queen of losing really close fights. I mean, just I don't know, I mean she she has great performances, but you know, man, anytime you leave it in, in the judges' hands, you know, obviously like Michael Bisping pointed out on the broadcast, it's not like they're trying to leave it in the hands of the judges, but you know, man, if you it, if it just goes the distance, anything can happen. We'll talk about that in a couple of fights uh, uh, down the card in a couple of minutes but you know she's on that three fight uh winning streak and then you know some people I thought uh Xiaonan Yan won that fight but a lot of people thought that Angela Hill won that one a lot of people thought she won the the split decisions he lost versus Courtney Casey so you know if you're Angela Hill I mean she'll be rewarded I mean obviously she was rewarded uh for for that Saturday card because she was a co-main event I mean there's if you're just looking at it black and white on on you know a, a piece of paper, there's there's no reason why an unranked fighter should be in the co-main event, but you know they reward her because she's she's game and she's you know on a three-fight winning streak even, even though she's not ranked. And I I think this was the fight itself was a reward for Hill because obviously if you win, you know if you beat Claudia Gadelian, she's number six in the rankings, you know in my mind and oftentimes in the rankings you're the number six fighter. So, and I'm sure Angela Hill would have been screwed because she gets screwed all the time. So I'm sure she wouldn't have been number six. I'm sure she would have been been like number eight or number nine. But, you know, point being, I mean, that's a big jump up in the rankings that was well-deserved. So obviously she's celebrating it it like it is a uh, victory, but uh, just a a tough outcome for Angela Hill. Uh, My favorite fight of the night Uh, was a split-decision victory for Dan Ige over Edson Barbosa. And again, I I was pretty high on Dan Ige after the Danny Henry fight that he won over in the UK. And it was a close fight, but I do think Ige won. I think he swarmed him. Uh, Just great, great boxing on that guy, which is going to serve him very well in the featherweight division when it comes to matchups because you look at the guys in the rankings ahead of Dan Ige, and there's a lot of interesting matchups we could do following this this win. Uh, he was number fifteen in the rankings, you know, might be might be number thirteen and number twelve uh, in the rankings after this. And you look at guys ahead of him, you know, you got Shane Burgos, Josh Emmett, Jeremy Stevens, Calvin Cater. Just seven through seven through ten. I mean, those are all amazing matchups that they could that they could put Dan Ige in, you know, where it's it's gonna be a fight of the night contender. You know, and he's going to live up to his nickname 50K Ige uh, because this guy's going to win a lot of bonuses uh, in the UFC and, you know, potentially some some main events coming up for Dan Ige if he keeps fighting like that. But, you know, again, you know, you got to feel bad for a guy like Edson Barbosa because, you know, this was a guy who wasn't getting fights, wanted to get released from his UFC contract. And, and make no mistake about it, Edson Barbosa, whether or not he leaves the UFC at featherweight or at lightweight, He's a champion in any other organization. I don't. I don't care what anybody says. If he went to Bellator as a 155er, he'd be the champion. This this guy, over his last like 10 fights, arguably arguably one of the toughest strength of 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 opponents in, in his last 10 fights. I mean, you're talking about uh, Paul Felder twice, uh, Michael Johnson. Uh, Tony Ferguson, Pettis, Melendez, two former champs, Benil Dariush. <laughs> I mean, you know, and he's lost five of his last six, but losses are to Khabib, Kevin Lee, Justin Gaethje, Paul Felder, and Dan Ige. I mean, this guy does not get a break. So, again, he's one of those fighters where, you know, if he stays at featherweight, obviously he's not ranked. But, like, man, if this guy ever took a tune-up fight, you know, he's he's murking fools, but, you know, he just stays out here and, and, and stays taking incredibly difficult fights that, I mean, who wants to fight Dan Ige? I mean, honestly, like nobody's lining up to, to fight this guy. So you know props to Edson Barbosa, but even bigger props for, for Dan Ige because I think he's really I think he's really a dark horse in that featherweight division, which is becoming increasingly deeper a, as the years go on. You know, you look at maybe from like 2018 to 2020. I mean, nobody knew who Volkanovski was, and now he's, you know, I'm really high on Volkanovski given his style and what he did to Max Holloway. And, of course, you still got Holloway, Ortega's still somewhere punching punching people um, inside the cage or, or outside the cage. Zabit, the Korean zombie, Yair, Frankie's there, you know, if he doesn't go down to, to bantamweight. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Jeremy Stevens, even though he's going to just absolutely set an unbreakable record for the most amount of losses in the UFC. So, you know, and then, like, uh, even if you go to, like, number 13, number 14, number 15, uh, you know, Arnold Allen, Ryan Hall, Sadiq Youssef, and now Dan Ige, and surely he'll get a boost in the rankings. I mean, this is a very, very fun division. You know, we talk about lightweight and welterweight being the two deepest divisions in the UFC. I mean, we're going to have to be talking about the featherweight division you know, in the, in the next six months to a year, you know, once, once more of these up-and-comers start getting some more fights. Uh, which leads us to the, uh, another fight that took place on the main card. Kristofs uh, Jatko uh, defeated Eric Anders by unanimous decision. Uh, I did not watch that fight super closely. For what it's worth, I, th- I thought Eric Anders won that fight. I'm not going to die on that hill. Uh, unfortunate because that was the one of one of the two fights that I got incorrect. I I, uh, I I tripped up on the Walt Harris and Overeem fight. Uh, I lost that one, and I lost this one. I picked Eric Anders, but the rest of them, the rest of them, I got right. And you know, I thought I felt really strong about Eric Anders because you look at you look at him and you look at his strength of schedule. I mean, he he's a very very game fighter. Um, that maybe maybe some people might not know his gameness. Like obviously we know the gameness of of Cowboy Cerrone and 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 Angela Hill, but Eric Anders is no stranger to taking short notice fights against against, you know, tough opponents. You know, he kinda had that skid in in twenty eighteen. You know, he 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 stepped in on uh short notice against Lyoto Machida and lost a split decision to Lyoto Machida and, and obviously you know what we know what he's done in the past, but you even look at what he's doing in Bellator, you know, I don't really think Machida's fallen off that much. So that that was a very impressive performance by Eric Anders, you know. He has that highlight reel knockout of Tim Williams uh, in his next fight and then is on that three-fight losing streak. And, you know, he just kind of fights tough guys that, that people don't really know about. Like Khalil Roundtree, like, that's, that's a really tough opponent, even if he's kind of been going 50-50 in his last couple of fights. But um, props to Jotko because this was a guy who was, was very nearly cut by the UFC a couple of fights ago because he was riding that three-fight losing streak uh you know and now he's riding a 3 fight winning streak so um you know I, I wasn't too impressed with his his past two performances versus Amadovsky and and uh the power bar mark andre Barrio, but a, a win over eric anders does uh say a lot to me uh the opening fight on the main card was a decision victory for Yadong song over Marlon chito vera uh <laughs> I, I feel bad because I, I picked Song to win the win the fight, and he did win the fight, and you better believe I'm going to claim this as a victory, but, I mean, Marlon Vera won that fight, but, you know, if, if I get screwed on picking a fight and it goes the other way, like if I picked Marlon, Marlon Vera to win a fight, but and, and in the eyes of the public, he won the fight, but in the eyes of the judges, he didn't, I mean, I got to respect the decisions of, of the judges, so, you know, even though I will concede Marlon Vera won that fight, uh, I, I am gonna count it for my batting average because I did technically pick the guy who won the fight. Um, but again, still, I'm still really high on both those guys. It, it, that was a fight that I, I don't. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me why it took place at featherweight because they're both bantamweights. So does does Yadong Song move up higher in the in the bantamweight division, or, or is this a permanent move to featherweight for both of them? Like I I, I don't really is it is it like McGregor and Cowboy at 170 but technically it matters at 155 they're just not cutting weight and what kind of precedence does that set so I'm kind of confused I don't really know I don't really know what that fight does but obviously obviously a good fight and you know I know a lot of people were talking sweet about Marlon Vera uh leading into the fight and you know it does it doesn't change like you know you 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 lost a. uh Controversial decision, but he's still young enough, and uh, you know he's not too high in the rankings where you know that's going to drop him very. F- I mean, he will drop out of the rankings if if they counted as a bantamweight fight because he was number 15. But you know that's also a very interesting division that that bantamweight division. Uh, the headliner on the prelims was a uh, second round knockout by Miguel Baeza to Matt Brown. Now, if you remember on the on the preview fight, I picked Matt Brown. But right before, and you can timestamp it, I announced it on Twitter officially. About a couple of minutes before that fight, I was just having really bad feelings about picking Matt Brown. So I, I changed my mind to Miguel Baeza, and I picked correctly. I think that's perfectly allowed. Uh, I, I think as long as a fight has not taken place yet, you can, you can change your opinion. I just... I think I fell into a trap at UFC 249, and on the Wednesday night card, I think I fell into a trap of picking young, undefeated fighters and projecting that they would make the next step, which is why I went with Matt Brown uh, initially. But then I realized I don't like Matt Brown at all. I don't like Matt Brown, so I I kind of talked myself into Baeza, and uh, he, he squeaks out a victory. That was, and I do mean squeaked out because he was getting beat up beat up in that first round by Matt Brown but uh, Matt Brown is one of the most overrated fighters in UFC history so uh, didn't take much for Miguel Beza to to overcome that and you know now he has a a win over a quote-unquote you know UFC legend whatever that means because he's never won a big fight in his life Uh, but but props to Miguel Beza Uh, we also had a first round knockout by Kevin Holland over Anthony Hernandez which was just not even fair uh that was a, a brutal finish. Kevin Holland is a sniper. That was a brutal finish. Uh just piecing him up, it was brilliant in slow motion. Just left, right, the the big knee to the chest right to the solar plexus takes the wind out of him uh and, and just beats him up. That was a brilliant performance and like I said, you know, I'm very high on Kevin Holland, especially his striking ability. He's a very creative uh uh striker. He was, he was throwing around spinning shit. Um you know, and if 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 he doesn't go up against a a grappler, and if he's just allowed to stand up, man, it's it's just artwork. You know, you look at, I think he's three and one in the UFC, so he's he's sneakily getting these wins in the UFC. But you know that fight versus Brendan Allen, you know, who's who's a, a very good prospect, very good ground game, just not. I don't want to say it's not good matchmaking because obviously for Kevin Holland, like listen buddy, you got to work on your ground game because eventually, like, we can't just have you in the UFC and only fight you against kickboxers. Like, you know, eventually you're going to have to fight somebody who's a a good grappler. So, you know, but, but, uh, matchup wise, if, if, if he's against a, a ground guy, I do not like his chances, but if, if he's against guys who can, who can stand up, I mean, he's just as good of a striker outside of Israel Adesanya, he's he's just as good of a striker as anybody in that middleweight division he is he is something else uh we also had a unanimous decision victory for Giga Chikezie over Irwin Rivera uh that was uh the guy who came in on 24 hours notice um un- unfortunate and and you know props to Rivera anybody who takes a fight on 24 hours notice to make your UFC debut versus a very seasoned kickboxer in Chikezie Uh, props to him wasn't even close brilliant performance by Giga but uh, unfortunate because when we when we talk about brilliant matchmaking with the UFC I was very excited to see Giga versus Mike Davis because Mike Davis in his last couple of fights I mean he had the the felonious assault versus Thomas Gifford that that you know Gifford's Gifford's corner should be you know, investigated by the FBI for that performance because, good—I mean, good God—they were willing to let him die in the octagon, uh, and 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 hopefully, so hopefully somebody looked into that because that was dangerous. But uh, you know, Mike Davis—I—I uh, I like watching that guy fight, and uh, you know, eight and two—you know, he he did have the loss versus Gilbert Burns, but you know, no shame in losing to Gilbert Burns. Um, but that would have been—that would have been. You know, and, and like I said, not highly ranked guys. Neither of those guys are ranked, but, you know, that would have been an absolute war. So I feel like we were robbed of that one. Hopefully the UFC, I don't think Giga took too much damage. I don't know how visas work. I assume Giga was in America already, um, but but maybe he wasn't. That's that's an assumption on my part, but I would like to see that fight uh, greatly in the future. We also had Nate the Train Landwehr uh, win a unanimous decision over Darren Elkins. And uh, that that was a bloody fight. That was a bloody fight. Uh, there, there was a lot of hype. A lot of hype surrounding Nate the Train Landwehr in his UFC debut. But again, much like Mike Davis, he ran into Gilbert Burns. Or no, excuse me, he ran into Gilbert Burns' brother, Herbert Burns, uh, and he got choked out, which kind of took, you know, Nate Landwer. He was champ over in I want to say ACA, that that Russian organization. Uh, a, a very no, excuse me, M1. He was he was champ over in M1, uh, still a Russian promotion, and he lost very early. He got out clinched by by Herbert Burns and lost very early uh, in January of this year, and then he comes out. And, and and Darren Elkins is no joke. As as you saw, Darren Elkins is a maniac. You talk about th- having the damage on your chest. He can dish out a lot of damage. He can take a lot of damage as well. You're gonna have to kill Darren Elkins in in that cage for him to stop moving. You know. So props to him. But I mean, just vicious elbows that open that cut on his head. So much blood just pouring everywhere. You know. When they did the the top down shot of the octagon, I mean, it was like somebody just It was like somebody took one of those paint can shakers from like Home Depot, took a can of red paint and hoisted it up like eight feet above the octagon and just shook it. I mean, it just looked like it rained blood and a brilliant performance. Uh, I know a lot of people thought the showboating was kind of corny, which I agree, but it's, it's fun. It's just something, you know, hand behind your back. I mean, you can't really do that and keep like moving back and forth. You kind of got to stand still like McGregor when he stood still versus Alvarez. Otherwise, it's like, yeah, your hand's behind your back, but you're moving away from me. Like, stand still. That that That's much more badass if you stand still with your hand behind your back. But, you know, he was taunting or, or talking to Dana, you know, taunting Darren Elkins, and Darren Elkins was screaming. I think he enjoyed it. And uh, that was a, a bloody fight, a really good performance by Nate Landwehr. And again, just another great addition to that, uh, that featherweight division. And another great striker, too. And I'm sure Nate Landwehr has a, like like all fighters, I'm sure he has a ground game. But, you know, when you just talk about, like, <laughs> the the amount of great boxers in the 145 division, even a guy who's not ra- uh, ranked in Nate Landwehr, I mean, there's some good strikers in that division. And I'm I'm very excited to see what they do with him. Because when you fight like Nate Landwehr, when you have the post-fight interviews with Megan O'Leavy like he did, you know when you're just a character when you're a goofball when you taunt when you can put that type of performance when you don't care about your own health you know when when, when you when you i don't think this was a, this was a short notice fight but when you fight frequently i mean you're going to be a fan favorite in the UFC you're going to be getting a lot of performance bonuses for fight of the night and uh, i am i'm very hyped on uh, nate the train landwehr because the train is back on the tracks after that performance uh, the second fight on the prelims, we had a armbar from Courtney Casey. Uh, another correct prediction by me. Don't have a lot of thoughts on that one. I think she's an underrated fighter. Uh, I'd prefer to see her at flyweight uh, just because I, I, I think she's a taller fighter. Uh, seems to do better better at, at, at flyweight, uh, but not a whole lot to gleam from that one. And then the uh, opening fight of the, uh, of the night was a rear naked choke win for Rodrigo Nascimiento. In the second round, over Dante Mays, again, not a not a whole lot. Both those guys are early in their careers. Dante Mays very well could get cut just because he's seven and four, um, and and we'll see about Nascimento. I mean, if you're, I mean, he's Brazilian, so I'm sure he's got great BJJ. But if you're a, if you're a good wrestler, um, and I know it was lower level opponent in Dante Mays, but you know, especially especially at heavyweight, excuse me, as my alarm goes off, uh, especially at heavyweight, if you can be a good wrestler i mean man there's not a lot of great wrestlers in the heavyweight division there's not a lot of great guys with cardio so if you can kind of separate yourself i'm not going to pretend to know a whole lot about rodrigo Nascimento, but you know if you can separate yourself i mean there's there's certainly opportunity for you in, in in a pretty shallow heavyweight division uh so that is our uh recap show uh, the next fight for the UFC, I believe is next Saturday and I believe it's back at the apex in Las Vegas, uh, headlined by Tyron Woodley and, uh, Gilbert Burns, which should be a good one because I am uh, a Mizzou guy. I'm a, I'm the number one fan of Tyron Woodley. Um, and I obviously will, we'll get to the preview show at some point this week. Uh, it'll be a little more interesting with the schedule because obviously we had to crank off a bunch of shows for the UFC doing three shows in one week. Probably we'll do the preview show on Monday or Tuesday, uh, just so we'll give it some time to breathe. Uh, and then we'll have a recap show on Sunday night uh, for that that one back in Vegas. Uh, so with that, we'll wrap it up. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen M N, And thanks for tuning in, everybody. This has been North Star Sports.